All right, everybody. Welcome to Wednesday night service. How is everybody tonight? Praise the Lord. Well, we are going to have a great time together. Uh, I know that we have had some floods and some rain today in Barstow. And hey, that's all right. Yeah. We have a real river. Who has seen the river flowing this evening? Yeah, that's pretty cool. So we will definitely take that. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, seeing a little water, and we just need it in moderation, right? So anyway, we're going to have a great time together. Let's go ahead and stand up. We're going to open up by speaking some words of faith over the United States of America. Who believes that America is coming to Jesus tonight? Amen. Well, we're going to keep saying this. <clears throat> And we do it by faith. Amen. Let's speak these words together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and in unity. We confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over the United States of America. We declare that righteousness, mercy, justice, and judgment from you shall prevail. We declare that America will complete her God-given mission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We push back the darkness of Satan from this nation and call for the light of Jesus Christ to invade the media and every home, church, and school, and every town, city, and state of this great nation, the United States of America. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord some praise tonight. Hallelujah. You may be seated. All right. Blake, go ahead and throw my announcements up there. I have lost my sheet of paper and my monitor is unplugged, so I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. Amen. So uh, who was here on Sunday for the big birthday celebration? Wow. We had an awesome time, and uh, it was just so great to have a whole lot of the family together and get to honor Mrs. Pastor on her 75th birthday. So we appreciate everybody uh, that helped out with that. A lot of people uh, pitched in to help decorate and, and set up and all sorts of stuff. So it did not go unnoticed, and we really appreciate your help. So thank you, everybody that was involved in that. All right, let's see what we got going on. All right, it's a mystery. Oh, okay, we got the missions yard sale coming up this Saturday. Yeah. And so we want you to be um, involved with that. Uh, they're still taking donations, right? Until Friday. And uh, I mean, I've had people uh, messaging us with some good items, like washing machines and different stuff. So there's going to be some legit things. Um, and so contact Cindy Grow or Raymond, all right? And they'll take care of letting you know what to do with that. But it is this uh, Saturday, and it's all going towards the Honduras trip in June, all right? And we're really, really excited about that, all right? And then we've got Julius and Ruth Marar joining us from India. The last Sunday of March at the 10 a.m. service. I'm not sure if they'll be at 6 p.m. Uh, it would be, be really great if they were, but uh, they'll be here. Who in here has not ever heard Julius uh, minister to us before? Okay, Julius is just phenomenal. And I guess if we could describe him in one word, it would probably be fireball. In fact, you remember the little atomic fireballs, the best hard candy of all time? Uh, undisputed fact, you can't even argue that. Anyway, so uh, he's like that. Okay, that's, that's Julius. And he's incredible. And he loves the Lord. And I'm telling you what, this guy has some incredible stories of the things that he's seen the Lord do in India. And uh, anyway, they're going to be here. We're really pumped up about that. And then we have the Easter service coming up. And that is just about three weeks away. 
So um, the kids are going to be doing a performance, not a full-out play, but they got some songs they're doing and a little bit of scripture reading. That's going to be awesome. And uh, then, of course, we have a huge Easter egg hunt right after the service. And uh, if you haven't been to one of these before, it's been really, really successful. Great chance to bring people in. And inside of every egg out there, we also have a, a scripture uh, in there with the candy. So we're getting the word of God out to the kids. But we need to collect eggs and hard candy. Uh, the collection bins should be back there by the info booth. But start bringing those in every week if you can. Because we need, I don't even know how many, but I know it's several thousand eggs uh, to, to pass out uh, for these kids. And um, we're going to also have some invitations uh, printed so you can invite people. And we want to take advantage of this opportunity to get the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and really, this is the biggest day for Christians of the whole year, the day that we celebrate that Jesus rose again. Amen. Because if he stayed dead, you know, that's no good, but he didn't. He rose again. And we are going to make a big deal out of it and tell the good news to everybody. Amen. All right. I think that's everything. All right. Very good. That's all the announcements for now. So who knows what time it is now? It's happy time. If you need an envelope, raise your hand and Cletus will get you an envelope. Dave will get you an envelope. And we're going to open up our Bibles to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. I'll be in the NLT here. We're going to look at Psalm 37 and verse 4. And if you're giving online, you can go to hdwc.org slash giving. Let's look at Psalm 37 and verse 4 in the NLT. It says... Take delight in the Lord. And what will he do? He will give you your heart's desires. He will give you your heart's desires. Or he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, a lot of people, you know, some people are just masters at half quoting a verse. They're like, man, no, the word says that God will just give you the desires of your heart. And that is partially true. But you can't ignore the first part of the verse where it says, delight yourself in the Lord. Well, what is that? mean that there's a whole lot that that means but i always say that one big part of the meaning for delighting yourself in the lord is obeying his word i would say that someone that doesn't obey the bible doesn't take delight in the bible they don't take delight in the lord and so taking delight in him this would include every area of his word and that does not cut out the area of our finances. And so if we're going to delight in the Lord, we're going to obey him even with our finances. We're going to be tithers. We're going to, we're going to give. And, and it's going to, uh, it's going to prove to the Lord that, hey, we love you. We obey you. And Jesus said, hey, John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Amen. And so it may not seem like it's a big deal, but any time that we have the chance to obey God and his word, it's always a big deal. All right. Okay. Let's go ahead and stand up together. We're going to speak some words of faith over our tithes and our offerings tonight. And then we're going to get into some worship. Did you guys not get the memo that it is flannel night? Cause I think I know one look in the back. Okay. Renee got the memo. I you didn't, I, I thought I sent that out via, okay, nobody else got it. All right, that's fine. Um, hey, just whatever, you know, it's good. I mean, I'm not offended, but still, you know, you could have. All right, let's go. As we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive jobs or better jobs. 
promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth and business, settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of my financial needs so I have more than enough to take good care of my family, to give generously in the kingdom of God, and promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go. Let's all worship the Lord together tonight. called out into darkness you reached out to save us you conquered the grave you crossed the divine lost in our sin you made us alive how can we ever hold it inside? We can't hold back. Now we're gonna lift you high, higher. Hearts burning bright like a fire, fire. Voices unite, make it louder, louder. I'm never gonna stop singing. I'm never gonna stop singing. Set free, no longer bound in chains. You rescued me and called me by name. You conquered the grave, you crossed the divide. Conquered our sin, you made us alive. How can we ever hold it inside? We can't hold back. Cause we're gonna lift you high, high. Hearts burning bright like a fire, fire. Voices unite, make it louder, louder. Never gonna stop singing. I'm never gonna stop. Burning bright like a fire, fire. Voices unite, make it louder, louder. Never gonna stop singing. Never gonna stop singing. Let's sing this. Every tribe, every tongue, every heart will see, every knee we will bow to the risen King. Lift him up, lift him up, never gonna stop singing. Every tribe, every tongue, every heart will see, every knee we will bow to the risen King. Lift him up, lift him up. Stop. Uh-huh.
Hey! 
Thank you, Jesus. Well, um, here at the end of the message, we're going to take communion together uh, because this is the third Wednesday night of the month. And uh, we, we always take communion on the third Wednesday night now. And we just want to make sure that everybody in this church family consistently gets a chance uh, to receive uh, the Lord's Supper with us. It's a very special and important thing. Amen. But what we're going to do now is get into God's Word. And I'm excited about this message, man. The Lord laid this on my heart this morning. And so we just got a, got a pen and paper out and wrote this down. And I believe that God is speaking to you tonight. And anybody watching online that could and be here with us in person, take some notes, and I encourage anybody online too to take communion with us in a little bit. Uh, we really want you to be able to do that, all right? Praise the Lord. Uh, the title tonight is God's Way is Better Than Your Way. Can you say that? God's Way is Better Than My Way. Amen. And we're going to open up by looking at a verse here in Isaiah chapter 55. Can we go there tonight? Isaiah 55. Amen. Try to contain your enthusiasm now. Come on. Isaiah 55, and we're going to look at verses 8 and 9. Isaiah 55 and verses 8 and 9. And we're going to be in the New King James here. Praise the Lord. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. And these are probably some verses that you have heard before. Um, but we're going to unlock these a little bit tonight, and, uh, and hopefully you start to get this revelation in your heart. Isaiah 55, verse 8 in the New King James, the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Isn't that good news? Because sometimes I've had some really stupid thoughts, and if that was God, that would be bad, but it wasn't. Amen. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways says the Lord. And that's another good thing right there because I've had some screwed up ways before. And so the Lord says, no, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. 
Look at verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And, you know, we all have probably heard that before, but that is a powerful thing that we need to get a hold of tonight. That God's ways are higher than our ways. And sometimes we're wondering, well, hey, why didn't this happen yet? Or, hey, what about, why didn't it happen this way? And you need to realize that, hold on for a minute now, listen. His ways are not your ways. And potentially, I mean, you know, I'm just throwing this out there for your consideration. He possibly knows more than you do. Anyone else stumbled across that yet? I mean, you know, and sometimes you're like, well, why didn't it happen this way? And then a little bit further down the road, you're like, oh, now I get it. A couple weeks ago, I was going down to a conference in San Bernardino, and uh, the GPS is saying, get off on this road right here, uh, Mariposa or whatever, by, uh, by, the, by the Walmart down there. And I'm like, what? Why? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's stupid. And I just obeyed it. I just obeyed it because, hey, you know, sometimes I haven't, but this is one of those rare chances that I did follow instructions. And so I get off, and then about a mile up the road, I saw it. They had put the freeway down to two lanes right at rush hour. Those people, all right, other people that took that way, it took them three hours to get to San Bernardino. I made it in like 45 minutes from Victorville. It was great. And so... What, what, what if I was just like, no, 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 no. I know that the instructions are saying this way, but in my mind, that's stupid. I know something better. I'm just going to do what I feel like doing. Well, I would have been sitting there like those people that I was honking at and waving. Hey, hey. And, you know, maybe that was mean. But still, listen to me. I'm glad I listened because the higher voice, the higher, you know, the, the one with the higher point of view than I had saw something down the road that I couldn't see. And sometimes in life, you need to know that God's ways are not your ways for sure. And there's a really good reason for that because his way is always better than our way. Always. There's not, he's never made a mistake ever. I mean, ever. He has never made a mistake ever. And so I'm going to, I'm going to show you a few things tonight about decision-making, and about choosing the right way. And uh, really, it's just two points to this, but I want you to get a hold of this because this is something that we all need to see. And this is gonna, this is a little bit of a level of spiritual maturity, uh, the first thing that I'm going to talk about tonight. So anyway, let's go ahead and get into point number one. I want to leave time for communion. So number one, we're talking about God's way being better than your way. you got to know this. Number one, don't let your emotions make your decisions. Don't let your emotions make your decisions. Now, we all have emotions. Do you, anybody in here have emotions? I've got emotions. I don't have many, but they, are, they do exist on occasion. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding about that. But we all have emotions, and this can either be a good thing or a bad thing, right? And I've, I've preached on this topic a lot, so I, I don't care to really dig too deep on it. But I'm going to tell you this right now. If you're going to take a note tonight, you could write this down. You have to learn to control your emotions and not be controlled by your emotions. You have to learn to control your emotions and not be controlled by your emotions. 
Now, when you harness them, you can use them to help you accomplish some great things. And if you read the four Gospels, you'll see that Jesus experienced the full range of emotions. You get, you see Jesus in moments of anger, Jesus in moments of sorrow, Jesus in moments of great, you know, cheer and, and happiness and everything. But here's the thing. Out of all these examples of Jesus, he never lost control of his emotions. He would channel them to do something productive, even anger, right? Because the scripture does tell us to be angry, but sin not, Ephesians chapter 4. Be ye angry, just don't sin with it. And so you can do some really productive things with righteous anger. And there's a, there is a righteous anger. When you are angry for a righteous cause, this can be a really good thing and you could do some powerful things with it without even sinning. And that's awesome. And God gave you that ability and that emotion. And so Jesus, he got angry, right? He flipped over those tables, you know, and, 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 and there was moments of him just being angry. And there was also moments of Jesus being sad. He, he wept over Jerusalem when he, when he looked at it and, and saw just the mess that it was. He wept about it. And we see just all these times that Jesus experienced emotions just like we do. Because we also know that the scripture tells us in Hebrews that he was tempted and tested in every way that we are, yet without sin. And so Jesus he used his emotions to, in a good way. He channeled it, but he didn't just make his decisions based off of whatever emotion or mood that he was in at the moment. Emotions are not good decision makers. And I, I challenge you, if you are in a spot where you need to make a decision, but emotions are just running crazy... I don't, you know, I'm sorry, so I'm not going to do it. Buy this car right now, we're going to raise the price tomorrow. You walk out that door, it's over. you got to do it now. Sign the paper now or this deal, it won't last forever. And I'm like, fine, you're going to treat me like that? I'm not buying a car with that type of pressure. That's crazy. That's wrong. Or, or you know, just so many things. Or you're making a, man, I am super ticked off right now. I'm going to, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do this anyway. Wrong time to make that decision. Or, you know, even, I've even said this, but it's even a bad idea to make decisions in a moment of extreme happiness. Because all of a sudden, you just get all these things going on in your mind. And like, wow, okay, I'm going to make this promise right now. I promise because you are in a really great mood. And then tomorrow when you wake up, you're like, oh, wait, I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and I'm just telling you that God's ways are better than your ways and your emotions are a super bad way to make any decision. Emotional decisions are usually super bad. But spiritual decisions, when I make my decisions based upon talking to God, praying, doing it by his word, we'll get into that in a little bit, then I can make some really great decisions in life. So... I'm going to show you an example of Jesus in Matthew chapter 14. And right here we have the story. It's a sad story uh, at first. But in Matthew chapter 14, we have the story of John the Baptist being beheaded by the wicked ruler of Galilee, Herod Antipas. And so Matthew chapter 14, and in this story you see Jesus in a, you know, a moment of sorrow and sadness. 
And so, in the, you know, if you've read this story, I'm not going to read it all tonight, but Herod was just a wicked man. He, hate, he didn't like John the Baptist because John the Baptist spoke the truth to him and said, hey, it's wrong that you're trying to get with your brother's wife. And that made Herod mad. And so he had it out for, for John. And, uh, and so uh, Herod's wife really hated John. And so if you read the story, uh, the daughter does this dance at a party. And the dad, you know, Herod is so excited. He's like, I'll give you anything you want, honey. Anything up to half of my kingdom. And she's like, Mom, what should I ask for? And the mom says, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a silver tray. And so they go to the prison, they chop John's head off, they put it on a silver platter, and they bring it out to the party and parade it around and and laugh and make a mockery of the man of God. And John was awesome, right? John was incredible. This man of God didn't deserve to go down this way, but it's what happened. And so Jesus, in this moment, we're like, yeah, he's Jesus. You know, he's cool, man. But no, it affected Jesus. He was sad. And so he goes off. To be alone because Jesus needed a minute. It's true. Jesus wanted to be alone for a minute. And you see that several times throughout scripture. But in this particular instance, Jesus really needed a minute to grieve the loss. Because John the Baptist was very, very close to Jesus. A close blood relative, probably his cousin. And they had been... Uh, they had this connection even before they were born, right? You read the story in, uh, in the beginning of Luke. And so whenever, uh, whenever Elizabeth shows up and, uh, and she's like, Hey, Mary, I'm pregnant. Or, or Mary tells Elizabeth that John leaps within her stomach. And so John the Baptist was the first person to really know who Jesus was. Not many people really got him like John did. And so Jesus loses, uh, this very close person to him. And it hurt. All right? And so Matthew 14, looking, uh, starting at verse 13, I'm just going to read two verses here. But here we have uh, what Jesus did. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Jesus needed a minute. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. And so can you imagine in this moment that he's like, the one time, man, the one time that I need a minute, here comes all the thousands with all of their needs. And he could have, how, he could have responded like most of us would have, like, would you guys just give me one day off? Get, can I for once have some me time? Can I have a minute to myself? You know, like all of us moms and dads want to say, you know, sometimes like, just give me five minutes. He could have said that, but that's not how he responded. Verse 14, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And in the next verses, you you go into the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. So here's what I'm getting at in this story. And I learned this from Kenneth Copeland, but Jesus could have retaliated against Herod for this, right? Jesus, in this moment of emotion, could have said, you know what? Not this time. I'm always turning the other cheek. This is one time that you cross the line. And you know, some of those disciples were roughnecks, right? I mean, Peter, he was always looking to cut someone's ear off. 
Right? Well, not, you know, anyway. <laughs> he was always looking. He wasn't afraid of a fight. You know, James and John were the sons of thunder. They sounded like a tag team duo from the WWF in the 1980s. I mean, these guys, they, they, Jesus had some old boys on his, on his team right there that enjoyed a good fight. Simon the Zealot? I mean, this guy was nearly a terrorist before uh, he became a disciple. For real, look it up. And so he had some guys that didn't, that, that they, I mean, they could have said, Jesus, we know some responsible people. We can go take care of Herod tonight. We can get him back for you. But on top of that, Jesus had at his disposal, just like that, the heavenly host, which is the armies of heaven. Jesus could have called legions, thousands of the angelic army in that moment. Because before he went to the cross, he said, I could ask for 12 legions of angels. That would be 72,000 angels. And he, he said, I could ask for 12 legions to just get, you know, get me out of this. So if Jesus had them at his command like that, he could have literally annihilated Herod from the face of planet Earth if he wanted to. But that wouldn't have been God's way. That wouldn't have been the Father's way in this situation. And so Jesus, instead of making this big, oh, I'm going to get him back, he goes out, no, I need to be alone. There's a lot of incredible things I love about Jesus. But one of the things I love about Jesus the most is that he was a human like we are. And we are to learn how to live the human life based upon how he lived it. Jesus knew that when something super emotional happened that he needed to step back for a minute and gather himself before making decisions. Isn't that incredible that Jesus needed to do that? That's, I mean, wow. And so I learned that from Jesus. If I'm in a super highly charged emotional moment, I need to be alone because I don't, you know, I don't want to take the nuclear option on anybody. I probably couldn't anyway, but even if I wanted to, I don't want to do that. And at the same time, I don't want to do something stupid that I'm going to regret. I don't want to say things that I'm going to regret. I think very, very hard before I say things to people. Before I send a text message out, I'm, I'm crazy. I, I proofread it several times. I don't want typos because I hate typos. And I don't want to say something stupid to you that I shouldn't say. And And, and so Jesus, he... Gave us an incredible example right here. So check this out. Kenneth Copeland pointed out something in this story that's always stuck out to me. He said this. If Jesus had allowed Satan to force him into retaliating in the area of human emotions, he would have been trapped into a physical warfare. And that would have ruined his ministry. Because listen, when I retaliate in the area of human emotions, I've taken the battle out of the Lord's hands and brought it into my own. I no longer have a spiritual fight on my hands. I've got an emotional or a physical fight on my hands. I've got no promises of victory there. But I've got promise after promise after promise that if I will be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, I'm going to win. You know, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers. Amen. And so there's so many verses. In fact, when David was facing Goliath, he said, the battle is the Lord's. 
And so in our lives, you know this much, that if we're going to seek retaliation, revenge, if we're going to take uh, the, the, the battle out of the spiritual realm where I'm guaranteed victory and bring it into the physical or the emotional, that would be the soul realm, then I am, I'm on my own. I'm on my own. And, you know, good luck, hope you make it, hope you win. You've got no promises from God because you took it upon yourself. In fact, Romans 12 tells us that vengeance, revenge, belongs to the Lord. He says, I will pay them back. Someone messes with you, if they don't repent, God will pay them back. And I'm not sitting there rooting for it, go get it, because that's sad. Because if God has to pay somebody back, they're in a very bad spot. And it does happen. It does happen. So, vengeance, revenge belongs to the Lord. And if, and, and if Jesus had just gone all this crazy way on this situation, but what did he do? He didn't retaliate against humans. Jesus retaliated against the devil. What did he do? He went out and did the works of the Father. He went out and started healing the sick. He went out and fed 5,000 men, not including the women and children. I mean, he fed anywhere between 10 to 20,000 people, potentially. We don't know. But with five pieces of bread and two fish, Jesus went out, and instead of retaliating against people, he retaliated against the devil. And so my goal is, somebody does me wrong, the devil's going to pay. Oh, I'm going after, I'm not going after you. I'm going after the devil because I am mature enough at this point to realize that people are not my enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. I'm not fighting people, but there is a spiritual warfare and I have victory in that realm. God's ways are higher than my ways. And so this is going to be on the screen there, but when you fight battles God's way, when you fight the battle God's way, A, you will win, B, God will get the glory, and C, Satan will be shamed. If I'm going to do it God's way, if I'm not only going to fight the battle God's way, if I'm going to make my decisions God's way, if I'm going to live life God's way, you're going to win. God will get the glory because everyone knows you're not smart enough to be that victorious. Amen? I'm not even being mean. But, you know, there's things that God's even done in my life, and it's it's certainly, certainly not because I was that smart. (laughs) There's no way in the world. And there's things in some of your lives that you are in prominent positions. You are in the best spot you've ever been in your entire life right now. And... You better not be taking the glory to yourself because you didn't get you there. God got you there. And you know that, right? My dad always says, if you ever see a turtle sitting on a fence post, you know he got some help getting there. Right? He didn't get up there on his own. He may feel cool sitting up there, but he had some help along the way. And that's uh, that's how we are, man. God's got us in some great spots, but we didn't get ourselves there. It was God. And I want everybody to know it. Any good thing you see in my life, I've got to point right to him so he gets the glory. Because I didn't, I didn't get myself there. All right? And then Satan will be shamed. And then check this out. When you fight your battles based off of your emotions, A, you lose. B, you bring shame to God. And C, Satan wins. When you fight your battles based off your emotions, A, you're going to lose. 
Well, no, I landed the first punch, so I won. No, now you're in jail. Good job, winner. Bravo. Now you look like a fool in front of your kids. Bravo. Now you've lost all respect from everybody else that looked up to you as a great Christian woman or man. Good job. You didn't win. You lost. And then you bring shame to God. The scripture tells us in Philippians, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. For he has identified you as his own. Have your kids ever done something that you're like, oh, that is really embarrassing. Everyone knows that's my kid. You know, (laughs) we could all tell stories. But if any of you are here for the uh, Easter performance of 2017, uh, that was a classic moment. So uh, anyway, uh, Isaac and Ellie, for some reason, they decided to stand them together on the uh, the second level of the platform for the, the Easter performance. Well, midway through, she elbows him. He stomps on her foot. They shove each other, and it was like the scene off of Home Alone 2 where the whole choir falls down because Buzz is messing with him. And I was like, I'm on the front row like, well, everyone knows those are my kids. I can't even fake it, you know. They're white with blonde hair. Everyone knows. These are my, and so those are my kids. And I was, I was, I, it was shameful. It was embarrassing. It was, it was bad. But anyway, whenever we do something really stupid like that, come on. You've been telling everyone, hey, come to my church. Hey, I'm a Christian. Hey, trust the Lord, brother. And then we blow our witness. That's a, that brings shame to God. They're like, oh yeah, I really want to go to your church. <laughs> I really want to listen to what you have to say. You can't even control your emotions. And then, of course, out of all that, Satan wins. So we're talking about God's way is better than your way, better than my way, every single time. And we're telling you, first of all, don't make your decisions based off of emotions. Your emotions will convince you that you are right even when you're dead wrong. Have you ever been so convinced in a moment of passion or whatever like that you were totally right, only to find out later, like, man, I was so wrong in doing that? I have. That's embarrassing, man. <laughs> and But in the moment, nobody could have talked you out of it. You were convinced that you were right because you had adrenaline and whatever, you know, going on. And you just made a decision and you were certain that you were right. And so I heard this great story. Um, I, I would read this to you. But uh, while taking a flight in a small plane in Washington state... Marriage counselors Les and Leslie Perot were given some interesting information from their pilot. They wrote this down. They said, we crossed over some small islands and approached the lights of a local airport. The most important thing about landing is the attitude of the plane, said the pilot. You mean altitude, don't you? I asked. No, the pilot explained. The attitude has to do with the nose of the plane. If the attitude is too high, the plane will come down with a severe bounce. And if the attitude is too low, the plane may go out of control because of excessive landing speed. Then the pilot said something that got our attention. The trick is to get the right attitude in spite of atmospheric conditions. Without knowing it, our pilot had given us a perfect metaphor for creating a happy life. The trick is to develop the right attitude in spite of the circumstances we find ourselves in. No, it's the altitude. How high can I go? No, 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 no. Focus on attitude first. And if you can 
work on developing how to control your attitude and your emotions, even in a very hostile, stormy, emotional environment, if you can stay rock solid and focused, you are a mature Christian. You are a mature adult. You're a big boy. You're a big girl. And God can really start doing some cool things in your life when he can trust you. When you can earn God's trust. Because we're all the time singing, Lord, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. That's not a real song. I kind of made that up. But, you know, we're always saying, Lord, I trust you. But isn't it great when God can look back down and say, you know what? And I trust you. God trusted Abraham. God trusted Abraham so much that before he obliterated Sodom and Gomorrah, he literally let Abraham have a say-so in it. Like, Abraham, I'm thinking about blowing this whole place up. What do you think? And Abraham's like, well, what if there's like 50 righteous people? And, and you know, they negotiate for a while. And I mean, that's a level of trust right there. God doesn't just trust everybody. He doesn't trust all of his children because many are untrustworthy to him. But when we get to this place where God knows, you know what? I can trust them. Wow. He will start rocking your socks. And he will start doing some incredible things in your life. All right, let's go on to number two here. And so the first thing is this, do not make decisions based off of emotions. We're talking about because God's way is higher than your way or better than your way. And then number two, let God's word be your guide. Let God's word be your guide. And again, everyone's like, yeah, I know that. Well, let's live it, okay? Let's not just talk about it. Let's actually do it. Thank you. All right, Psalm 119, verse 105. (laughs) Some of you are looking at me and laughing. Psalm 119, verse 105. Yeah, we know that, preacher. All right, very good. Psalm 119, verse 105. We've got to go there. So you need to know this verse, but I'm going to pull a few others out of Psalm 119 tonight. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp. To guide my feet and a light for my path. God's word is a lamp. Have you ever, you know, been out in the darkness trying to find your way down the path? I grew up out in the woods, man, and sometimes we'd be out there doing dumb things. Josh and I would take our Red Rider BB guns out there into the woods, and sometimes you wouldn't see us until, you know, way after dark. We were having a good time, you know, shooting random things. But listen, when you're trying to fumble through the woods and the path is dark, man, it's great if you've got something to light it up, and God's word before you will light up the path. You don't ever have to be lost again. You don't ever have to wonder which way to go. It'll show you which way to go. His word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. And with God's word, you don't ever have to be lost. Everyone knows it, but not everybody lives it. And so before you make any decision in life, and I was going to write this down, then I felt the Lord kind of having me reword this a little bit. Before you make any decision in life, you better have some verses that are not backing you up but are lighting up the path ahead of you. You know what I mean? I'm going to make this decision. I'll, you know, maybe I'll find some verses later to, you know, you know, back me up on this. No, no, no. I'm not looking to just go out and make a, you know, do a bunch of things and then find some verses that I can prop myself. No. I'm looking at, I want the word not just behind me. I want it in front of me. I don't want to make any decisions unless it's in the light of God's word lighting up the path ahead of me. And so, 
I know any time in life that I've come to my dad and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. He's always going to say, what does the word say? If you're thinking about dating someone that's not a real Christian, what does the word say? Now, we ought to preach on that, man. People need to know that. You, as a child of God, have zero business hooking up, teaming up with somebody that is not a real child of God. Because I'll tell you this, especially ladies, a lot of dudes will tell you what you want to hear because they think you're real pretty. I'm just, you know, it's the truth. And oh, yeah, man, I, I love the, I believe in the Lord. Yeah, I was raised in the such and such church and blah, blah, blah. They're just blowing smoke. You better back it up, man. All right. And so you uh, if you're thinking about dating someone that's not a real Christian, not a little faker, not a little phony. What does God's word say? If you're thinking about taking a job that'll pull you away from church, what does the word say? I know a lot of you have turned down jobs that were a lot more money. I had someone a few weeks ago say, Pastor, I've, I've got this interview. This is more money. It's more such and such. It's more of this. It's more of that. But, um, you know, I'm going to find out what the schedule is. And so I believe before the interview, this person called in and was like, hey, by the way, what's the what's the schedule? And one of the days was going to be Sundays. And he's like, you know what? I thank you for your consideration. It's an honor that you even considered me. Have a nice life. Man, he just lost out. Oh, no. Now he's got God on his side. He's really going to get blessed now because he put God's house and God's word above money. Not a lot of people do that anymore. So don't think, he didn't lose out on a thing. He just opened up the doorway to some real blessings. Amen? If someone has wronged you and you can't stand their guts, what does God's word say? There's a lot of things it says. Yeah. (laughs) Pray for them. Bless them. Bless those that persecute you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Amen. And so there's a lot of things that God's word says about somebody that has wronged you and somebody that you can't stand. What does the word say before I make this decision? Let's look at the first few verses of Psalm 119 because they're really great too. Psalm 119 verses 4 through 8. Going to look at these. And, and reading these verses, Psalm 119 is incredible. I believe these verses really give you a glimpse into David's heart. And we know that David is the only man referred to as being a man after God's own heart, Acts 13, 22. Nobody else in Scripture does it say that about. But David was a man after God's own heart, and it wasn't because he was so perfect. But I believe these these few verses right here really give you a glimpse into the heart of David. And I read these, and I'm like, that's what I want to say. That's what I want my heart to be like before the Lord. And so Psalm 119, starting at verse 4. He says, you have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. That's the commandments. That's the word of God. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. That's the word of God. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. That's the word of God. As I learn your righteous regulations. That's the word of God. I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. That's the word of God. Please don't give up on me. And I want to just talk about those few verses for a minute. 
Because in verse 5 there, David's talking about, I just want my life to reflect God's word. Not my emotions, not my moods, not my desires. I want my life to reflect God's word. Is that the desire of your heart? Or do you want people to look at you and say, man, that person is super cool. Man, that person is powerful. That person is good looking. That person is talented. Or do you want people to look at you and say, that's what happens when someone really obeys God's word. That's what, that's, that David said, that's what I want. Then you look there at verse six. He's saying, I don't want to be ashamed when I shine the light of God's word on my life. You know, because what does a light do when it's shined on something? It lights up and you may see things you didn't even realize were there. And, and, and David's saying, no, no, if I'm going to obey your word, I don't have to be ashamed whenever the word lights me up. I, I don't, I, I don't want to be ashamed about it. In verse seven, I love this. He says, I will thank you by living as I should. And a lot of times people, I, man, I've heard it a million times. Man, preacher, tell you what, man. Oh, <laughs> I got to go into redneck mode because that's where I primarily heard it. But I have heard it in California too. Tell you what, man, I'm going to win that Powerball one of these days. I'm going to build you a brand new church over there, man. Tell you what, man, you know, I'm going to give that church a million dollars, man. I'm like, oh, shut up. Shut up. No, you wouldn't. You're a liar. If you won't give God $10 off of the hundred you earned this week, you wouldn't tithe off of a billion dollars. That's a lie. And so people are like, you know, I'll thank God with a bunch of money if I'm ever lucky enough to win it. Why don't you thank him by living as you should? That's how he wants you to thank him. By living as you should. That's a beautiful thing. And then I love verse 8. We just looked at this. But here's David's heart. He knows he isn't perfect. He knows he's made mistakes. But God, I'm following your word. Please don't give up on me. Don't give up on me. And I'm like, what a tender heart before the Lord. And, you know, it's incredible because if you read the Psalms, you also realize that not only was David a man after God's own heart, he was also a very emotional person, too. I mean, this and he was one of those rare guys that could put his emotions into words. I'm not one of those. I I may feel a certain way and I have no idea how to tell you how I'm feeling. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I I, I don't my wife. Do you feel sad? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I don't even know how to say it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's tough being a guy. But David was one of those rare one in a million dudes that knew how to actually formulate his feelings. And in the Psalms, you see that. He's got some extreme happiness. He's got some extreme anger sometimes and definitely some extreme sadness and sorrow in the Psalms. But... When David learned to harness his emotions instead of being harnessed by his emotions, he became Israel's greatest king, even to this day. Every king Israel has had, every president they've even had, they've you know, still got a prime minister, a president, and all this stuff. Hey, David's still the man. David is still the greatest leader that they have ever had. And David became one of the best people you know, to ever live. And it's not because he was sinless, because he did sin, but he learned how to control all this and he learned how to serve God. He learned how to make right decisions. He learned that God's way is better than his way. And I want to show you one last thing, 1 Kings chapter 2. And what we're going to look at here, 
It's not something that we we look at very much, but this is some of David's last words. David, at this point here, is an old man. He's getting ready to die. He calls for his son Solomon to be brought in, you know, to his deathbed. And he tells, uh, he he, he gives some instructions to his son that's going to take over the kingdom. So 1 Kings chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. And I love how David ends his life right here. First Kings chapter 2, verse 1. It says, As the time of King's da- King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. I was like, I'm going to die. Take courage and be a man. And I love that verse because, you know, I'm not going to go into all this tonight, but in our modern day and age, listen, Men should be men. Women should be women. God made a beautiful difference between men and women. And we need each other. So, you know, it's foolish to them. I don't need no woman. I, don't I mean, and if you're called to be single, I'm not talking about that. But to be little, and, you know, the difference between the, the, the sexes, that's stupid. The scripture, I hear even said, man, take courage, be a man. And there's, there's two other spots in Scripture that it says that. If you want, does anybody want those? You want me to just go on? I'll tell you. It's Job 40, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians 16, 13. <laughs> the Scripture says, be a man to men, all right? It wasn't saying it to women. All right, let's go. So he says, I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. And that's a good thing, to be a man. It's a good thing to be a woman. But look at verse 3. He says this. This David, some of his final dying words... Here's what he gets at, how he ends his life. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. I love David ended his life by basically saying, hey, Do it God's way. Make your decisions based upon His law, His word, His decrees, His regulations, His commands. Make your decisions based upon the word of God. And, you know, you study it out more. Solomon goes on to become, what the scripture says, the wisest person to ever live. Because in the coming chapters there, you know, the Lord... It said, hey, God appears to him and says, you can, you know, ask me for whatever you want. And he says, I want a wise and understanding heart. And God's like, wow, most people would have asked for riches or fame or power. You asked for wisdom? Oh, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to give it to you like nobody's ever had it before. And so Solomon ended up being the wisest person to ever live. But I look back at what his dad said to him. His dad could have said anything on his deathbed, but he said, I want you to follow the word of God. If it says to do it, do it. Follow it. Make your decisions based upon that. And he didn't straight say this here, but hey, God's ways are higher than your ways. His ways are much, much better than your ways. And so I encourage everybody in here tonight that... As we're living life, as we're moving on, moving in through the year and all this stuff, God's way is better than your way. 
So don't make some rash, stupid decision based on your emotions right now in any area, but do everything through the light of God's Word. Amen? All right, we better close down there tonight. Hallelujah. Did anybody receive anything from the Word of God? Amen. Let's stand up together this evening. We're going to stand up together. Praise the Lord. We're going to receive communion together tonight. And uh, again, I encourage anybody at home to receive communion with us. But uh, as we you know, are reflecting on what we've just heard from God's word, I think it's a great time. Our hearts are softened. Our hearts are uh, tender before the Lord right now. This is a great moment if we need to, you know, talk to the Lord about something. If we need to repent of something, now is the time. And, you know, I, I say this all the time, but I want to get it more and more. You know, we need to learn and we need to learn holiness. And communion is one of the big times that at this church, I want it to be a holy time. I don't, you know, I don't like to look back and see people talking and joking around when we're doing communion makes me pretty mad gives me kind of that righteous indignation and there's some people i kind of give them the stink eye during communion and that may you know maybe offend people but i just don't mess around with communion you don't you don't mess around with the blood of jesus amen so let's go ahead and uh we're going to come up and receive the elements come get your communion tonight and you can either you can stay at the altar you can make your way to your seats either way come get the elements and we are going to partake of the Lord's Supper together this evening. And if you need to talk to God, now is the time to do it. Amen. out of 1 Corinthians 11 to us. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning 
against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. And so tonight we're going to take just a minute, as we always do, to examine our lives before receiving the communion elements. And if we need to repent of something, we need to repent of it now. If we need to ask God, you know, if we need to talk to him about something, talk to him right now. This is the perfect time. We're going to take just a minute here uh, to talk to the Lord. Amen. Corinthians 11 and verse 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus, we take this bread tonight and we thank you that your body was beaten and and bruised and broken apart, Lord, so we could receive healing and so we could have restoration in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, and we do this in remembrance of you. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And so, Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that this juice tonight represents your blood. This is the new covenant, Lord. And we thank you that we have salvation, we have forgiveness, and, Lord, we are going to heaven. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. The Lord is good to us, isn't he? Hallelujah. I'm going to have my prayer team come on up tonight. If you're here and you need prayer, we would love to be in agreement with you this evening and uh, just have a chance to hook our faith up with yours and see the Lord work in your life. And if not, let's just take a minute here before we close things out to uh, be reverent before the Lord and worship him for just a minute tonight. Amen. Amen.